0: It's Monday, August 14th, and we have Michael Smith again with Sean Eubank of Native Wines. Lots of restaurants opening, some moving, and welcome to Eat It, Virginia. (laughs) I had more to say, but I couldn't decide what it was. Well, we
1: have a whole podcast to talk about it. Virginia, your number one podcast source for food news and interviews with the people who make Virginia restaurants great. Follow us on social media at Eat In Virginia, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. My name is Scott Wise, and I am joined, as always, by my friend, my friend Roby Martin. How's your summer treating you, Roby?
0: It's hot, Scott. It's hot. <laughs> it's getting. I I feel like we're, like, deep in the dregs of sweaty, sweaty August.
1: I I saw those photos on your social media of you as a race car driver, as as a NASCAR driver.
0: That is a um, secret skill of mine. I'm actually a NASCAR driver. This is my side job, Scott.
1: Did you actually go to the NASCAR races a couple of weeks
0: ago? So I not only drove at the slowest NASCAR ever, like, and then, like my NASCAR rode a snail that rode a turtle. That's how fast I drove. No, but the actual
1: race did you go to it a couple weeks ago. Yes. Yeah,
0: so first we drove a the car, then we went to the actual race, and I have to tell you, it is a fun time.
1: It, it, I've never actually been. Uh, uh, embarrassingly enough, but it was like 110 degrees that day. How did you? How did you handle that?
0: Uh, we had beers. Fair enough. Fair enough.
1: Since we're on the topic of drinking, how awesome is it that our friend Michael Smith has rejoined us on the podcast for today?
0: You know what? I was just talking to someone about orange wine and like all this type of stuff, like regarding the whole pet nat natural wine, you know, all like sparkling wine, that type of thing. And I really think this is a super enlightening podcast we have this time a scott for everyone that might want to know more about these things they had a lot to say about natural wine i think that we should probably listen to them all right so cool thing we are, I feel like this has been happening to us. We actually have been doing a little wine on the Eat It Virginia, so we're gonna call it Drink It Virginia today. Um, and we have the most important part of Native Selections with us today. We have the founder, um, Sean Eubank, and then our returning guest, uh, Michael Smith, with us to tell us a little bit about. You guys, you know what? So this natural wine thing, I have so many questions, (laughs) like a a billion, I Uh, guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not like you are not familiar with natural wine. You started Native Selections in 2015.
2: 2015. Yep.
0: And what made you do that?
2: Um. Yeah. So, I mean, mostly just because I really liked the wines that I had been having um, a couple years leading up to that and saw a little bit of representation of that kind of wine in Richmond in particular, but mostly just I kind of just got excited about it. I thought it'd be something that would be fun to share with um, businesses, you know, restaurants and wine shops throughout Richmond. And then, you know, uh, areas up to DC and Virginia Beach, Charlottesville. That's kind of how we started. So my brother kind of got into it a few years before I did and um, kind of inspired um, that specific sector of wine. Um, just to, you know, we can, we can kind of talk about why, you know, throughout this hour, I'm sure. But yeah, that, that's what got me excited. Just, you know, tasting and getting to know a couple of the people behind the labels. And really wanting to launch a business based on that.
0: Were you in wine before you launched this?
2: Sort of, yeah, yeah. So I, um, I kind of came at it actually from the agricultural side, believe it or not. So I didn't grow up. I grew up in Virginia Beach. I didn't grow up on a farm or anything. Um, but um, in 2010, um, at the time. My wife and I were living up in um, Poolsville, Maryland, just outside of about 45 minutes outside of Washington, D.C. And long story short, a friend from college at Virginia Tech and I, we were both looking to do agricultural internships. Um, I mean, we were in our young, t- early 20s. And he and his family had moved back in 2003 to about 30 acres or so of farmland, and um, quasi close to a city center and we just had the opportunity to kind of plant some ideas you know literally literally and figuratively and we started a little farm doing organic vegetables pasture-raised meats and uh, a couple years into it we started growing grapes and making wine so that's actually how I got into it it's called Rocklands Farm Winery and I'm still still involved there and um, yeah and then kind of got Like I mentioned before, just kind of got um, the natural wine bug, mostly through my brother. And then at the time, there was, you know, still is a great company, Williams Corner. They were a big pioneer in Virginia in that regard. Um, So, you know, they were super inspiring as well. So all those things kind of came together. And I think that was kind of what helped form the nucleus of what would, would have become Native Selections.
1: I need to lay a foundation for myself. What is a natural wine and why is what I am drinking probably not a natural wine? <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> um, sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take this one, Michael, if that's all right. Yeah. Uh, yeah so I think, I think, a, you know, a natural wine, there are a lot of definitions out there, which is can be frustrating sometimes because there's not unlike, you know, certified organic, there's not a certification, it says this is exactly what it is. So I think that's why, you know, even, you know, years and years and years in to this, we still get that question a lot, which is super understandable and normal. Um, and still people have a lot of different different definitions of it. So I think our, you know, our definition, I think you always have to start with the farming. So if you can't kind of get past these certain uh, qualifications with the farming, just it's not natural. <laughs> Stop there. So, um, so simply, you know, it needs to start with organic grapes. So, um, you know, whether that's certified organic or not certified, um, you know, a lot of times the wines can go into biodynamics, you know, that's a whole nother podcast. Separate we need thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, because
0: The terms organic biodynamic and natural not the same thing
2: correct they're not yeah they're they're um, yeah they're, there's 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 different approaches there and almost like kind of different ways of life to some extent but yeah in the vineyard we're talking we need to, we need to start with organic farming practices and organic grapes and then kind of the second part of it is everything that happens after the grapes are picked so this is and this is i think what is the least thought about and understood, uh, part of, um, you know, the, the wine production process. I think the farming, you know, organic, like I get that I go to the store and supermarket and I see the organic section that makes sense to me. When I think about what happens in the winery, um, there's just not a lot of common terminology. I think that like most people, think about or is talked about on a, on a wide basis, because there's, there's no ingredients labels on wine bottles, you know, it's not regulated by the FDA. So there's, yeah, I think that is actually like a major reason why, even though like the winemaker and the wine process is like the more glorified part of this whole thing compared to the farming it's also i think kind of the least talked about and understood so there's just a lot of things that can happen between when the grapes are picked and when the wine goes into bottle so some examples of that would be and and this is mostly for either making a wine you know kind of taste a certain way or maybe stabilizing it in a certain way um or even just the back lying philosophy of wanting to kind of make a wine into what you want it to be rather than the winemaker that's kind of seeing what is given to them from the vineyard and kind of steering gently the wine into the direction they think it should go and is most appropriate for that so a natural wine is a wine that is um it's just not fooled around with It's generally a lot more labor and attention uh, required in the winery because there are reasons why these stabilizers exist because wine can go off the rails. Wine can turn into vinegar. Wine can oxidize, you know, bad things can happen. And so it, it, it does require just a lot more attention to cleanliness and to detail um and just being on top of everything to really do it right and to get a good product at the end of the end of the day so we define natural wine as organically farmed grapes that are um, void of any additions with the exceptions there are exceptions i think in our opinion of where you can put small levels of preservative sulfur dioxide into the wine which is also an naturally occurring byproduct of the wine but outside of that you know that's Kind of what we see natural wine as, it, it, you know, in terms of like a definition of um, you know how it's made.
0: That's how native selection sees natural. That's wine. how native
2: selections. I think you know over the you know it's 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 an old movement, but it's a new movement at the same time. And I think there is. I think that's probably also the most widely held uh, opinion of the definition of natural wine. There are definitely some folks that say, you know, natural wine cannot have anything added to it whatsoever. Um, you know, so it's got to be a zero sulfur, zero, everything wine, which we have a substantial amount of those wines in our portfolio. Um, and there's some people that take it the other direction and say, you know what, maybe there are some exceptions you could have, like, sustainably farmed grapes that you know are made with like you know a low intervention philosophy and that's natural wine and you know and i would disagree with that but that's just kind of our definition so um yeah yeah it's it's really interesting i mean it's just it's it's changed so much since 2015 and i mean it's eight years is not that long but just the market the conversations the, I mean, the wines, you know, that are coming out from all over the globe now. It's it's, it's really changed a lot just in just in eight years or so.
0: So, when you started in twenty fifteen till now, are there some purveyors you've continued to carry because they have kept this philosophy of natural wine the entire time, and, and like now they're like, oh shit, I'm trendy
2: yeah Yeah. it's it's so so true um yeah no for sure i mean i think ultimately you know there, there hasn't really been much turnover for us in terms of um producer relationships or anything like that it's more of just we started in 2015 just working with these wines and winemakers that my brother had been importing in california and so i figured you know worst case scenario if these wines don't sell of fifty cases of wine that I bought at a wholesale price, <laughs> and uh, I'll have a good seller for the next ten years or so. Of my Life, <laughs> um, not
3: but, a bad you know, place f-
2: to be.
1: Not a bad. Yeah, yeah.
2: That was um, kind of like. I mean, yeah, it's definitely like an organically started company. You know, kind of grassroots, bootstrapped for sure. And um, you know, fortunately, we had a, a few people take a chance on us and and started kind of growing from there. And yeah, and then we've kind of transitioned into, I guess we have a pageless portfolio now. So I don't measure in pages anymore. But it's probably, I don't know, 15 times what it was in 2015. I mean, we're still a very small company um, compared to just all the other companies that are out there. But um, we've, we've added quite a bit of wines and producers, um, added in uh, a decent number of our direct imports, which means that we're you know, we're the boots on the ground in France and Spain and Italy, um, have the direct relationship and do that. And then we also continue to distribute and work with a few other importers like my brother and some other folks, mostly based up in New York. Um, but yeah, we've, we've, we've added a lot and there's just been... I think an increase overall in quality um, just globally with natural wine, there's definitely been more, but I think it makes sense. You know, there's just, there is a lot more natural wine that people have access to now and that's being produced and it's not just coming from France, which is kind of the origin of the natural wine movement. It's really coming from now any wine producing country in the world and um, and so that's super exciting, and I think it also because there's so much uh, more out there, it it encourages everyone to be better, you know, because they have more competition. And so I think I think the quality is way better than it was when you know compared to 2015.
1: Roby, I'm going to throw a number at you. I want to see what you what you do with this number. The number is one thousand one hundred and seventy four. That number mean anything to you in this particular moment? One thousand one hundred and seventy four.
0: Um, how many varieties of grapes there are
1: 1174 days ago from today, this recording Um, is when Michael Smith's either Virginia podcast published (laughs) (laughs) February 2nd, 2020.
3: I've been counting every day since then, too. <laughs> of
0: course you have.
1: <laughs> so I, don't know when, I don't know when our podcast is going to come out, when this one's going to publish. But from the, the moment of this recording, 1,174 days, Michael Smith, we have lived a lifetime yeah. <laughs> in, in, in those 1,174 days. So is, many.
3: How
1: have you been?
3: <laughs> Man, I've been doing good. I've been doing really good. It's been it's been fun to kind of transition out of the role that I did for so long. I managed restaurants for 10 years, and um, now it's great to be able to work for Native Selections. Are you still singing? Oh, I knew you were going to bring it up.
0: Uh, Honestly, by you know, the way, there are 10,000 great varieties, FYI. <laughs> <so>.
3: <laughs> Maybe even more than that. But. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, I would say this, Scott. Um, the pandemic took a lot of things away. Karaoke was a big one of them. So I'm I'm not gonna lie, uh, kind of took a took a little hiatus from singing.
1: <laughs> That's understandable. Yeah, your, your, your voice should be fresh. Oh. At least
0: for those two of us who weren't with us 1,100 days ago, um, uh, Michael sang us into the podcast. In the, C- in, in, our, in the CBS six studios.
3: That's right. That was like it feels like eons yeah. ago. Is it an archive of <laughs> this? I think I missed that one. Yeah.
0: It's so good. How could you miss it? He works with you.
2: He, I know. You I, get didn't, it I live. didn't. I didn't do my background check completely. Uh, I guess.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh! It's amazing.
1: <laughs> so, Michael, will you take us on a little journey your your professional journey over the last? I guess it's been three years. What, what's been yeah. going on?
3: Yeah, well, um, so I guess, you know, I um, left Laura Lees very amicably um, and decided to take a role at Common House um, to get that open with with Chauncey Jenkins, who I think has also been on the podcast. Um, did that, got got a Common House open in Richmond. Um, and then I. Uh, a little birdie told me that um, the rep for Native Selections was going to be um, moving to the West Coast. Um, shout out to Virginia Samsel, who is still a very, very active member of our company. She takes care of our social media. Um, but for years, she really did pave the road for uh, the Richmond market for Native Selections, Richmond and Charlottesville. Um, and so she, she decided to leave uh, her sales rep job and move to the West Coast to pursue some dreams. and. Uh, made mentioned to me she was like hey this is happening and uh having had a relationship with sean and native selections in virginia uh since 2015 um i already knew the portfolio and so i i kind of snuck into this job pretty easily (laughs) i love it
0: What have you learned about natural one that you didn't know? Like, is there, I mean, I know you knew a lot, but is there, is there something that you're like, was there a light
3: bulb? Oh my gosh, there's been so many light bulbs. I mean, uh, you only learn something if you practice it over and over and over again. And so now I'm given the opportunity to really focus on tasting things, you know, um, previous to, uh, Working as a in wine sales, you know I had managed restaurants and was writing wine lists. But my exposure, exposure and education with wine was a personal journey, um, guided by YouTube, books, um, but mostly like by wine reps, people who were um, you know coming to me and teaching. When you're working in a restaurant, you have a thousand things that you're thinking about at all times. And the wine list can only take up so much of your brain and therefore focusing on what you're tasting can only, uh, take up so much of your time. And so even though I think I I'd like to have thought that I was dedicating a lot of time to that, um, now that I can dedicate all of my time to it, I'm, I'm learning so much more, um, understanding, uh, Understanding natural wine is tricky. As I think Sean mentioned, um, natural winemakers are kind of making wine um, without some of these tools and tricks that allow them to kind of skirt around uh, when the wine can go off the rails. So there's there's uh, some volatilities, if you will, to natural wine that I'm starting to kind of learn about and understand how they can um kind of uh, fall into good harmony with other flavors that are happening in the wine. Um, So I'm learning about kind of how to describe the funk behind natural wine, if that makes sense, Um, which is what a lot of people, uh, maybe people who are new to wine, that's maybe one of the first things they recognize with some of these natural wines is that, hey, this tastes a little more real (laughs) than maybe something I'm accustomed to. And being able to kind of understand how that happened is something that I'm, I'm learning.
0: And but not all. Just so I, um, I have not. I drink wine, so I am a consumer. I don't know as necessarily it is all natural wine, though. Um, you know, now that it's trendy, of course you see it more, which is nice. Um, but not all natural wine is funky or barnyardy or all those wild geasty terms that you'll get, right?
3: Correct. There are definitely some very pure expressions of natural wine. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, it's not, yes, it's not all funky. (laughs) No,
0: I mean, but like that's because of what sediment or filtration? Like why does it have some of that? um, Some of it will be cloudier. This is all assumption. I'm just,
3: obviously, you guys know. Well, as as Sean was saying, um, you know, a lot of there's there's different uh, definitions of what can be a natural wine. I think some natural winemakers would would agree that a little bit of filtration is OK with the wine. So some of some of the wines that we um, carry. Uh, you know, do have some more like purity so you can look through it and it, it's very pristine um, while others are entirely unfiltered. And so they might look, yeah, more akin to a hazy IPA in your glass. And that definitely throws, it can throw people off, you know, um, people who are maybe not accustomed to that. Um, but uh, it, if anything, um, that's exciting, right? You know, it, it gives you an opportunity to experience something something new. Uh, if anything, I think you, you can get some uh, cool textures, even cooler flavors that come out of uh, wines that are unfiltered.
0: So as you're pouring these wines for individuals that are new to it, what are some of the things that you hear? Because I feel like if somebody's expecting, you know, a, let's pick a a Pinot Grigio that's like, you know, sometimes very straw, yellow, cleared, adorable. What what do people say when you pour this natural wine in their glass?
3: Well, I mean, it really depends. It depends on the person as as you're as you're saying, like the nat- natural wine is kind of growing. Like even, you know, eight years ago, if I had. uh asked a room of 50 people if they've heard of an orange wine or a skin-contacted Pinot Grigio, um, you know, there would be a hand, maybe a couple hands would raise, but now it's definitely becoming more popular. So um, perhaps a few years ago, the response would be more like, what is this? And now it's more like, oh, okay, yeah, like I've, I'm familiar with something like this. You know, it's not too far outside of people's wheelhouse. Um, You know, I, I think that even in a couple of years, you're going to start seeing orange wine by the glass kind of in more, uh, maybe even some chain restaurants um, and more uh, like larger uh, corporations. I think it's definitely going to happen.
0: Scott, do you know what orange wine is?
1: I have no clue what orange wine is. Please tell me, Michael <laughs> and Sean. Enlighten me. Mm <laughs> hmm.
3: Yeah. But orange wine, also known as amber wine, those two words can be used interchangeably. In fact, a lot of people in the natural wine world are trying to shift people more towards using the term amber wine as orange wine confuses people. People think that uh, there's citrus fruit in the wine. There's oranges in the wine, which is. I mean, can you, I mean, you blame them,
1: Michael? I mean, no, you can't. It seems... you can't not at all. <laughs> That's where my brain would go.
3: <laughs> but but a lot of white wines um, that you drink are direct press juice. You crush the grapes, the juice runs free, and then you ferment the juice. There's been no contact with the skins. Um, when you're making a red wine, it's all about that skin contact. Uh, the juice is extracting from the skins all of the color and all of the tannin. So if you essentially apply that red wine methodology to what we call white grapes, you're Pulling out whatever color there is, whatever tint there is, which depending on the shade of grape, you know, there might be a little some orange or pink tones in that Pinot Grigio, for example, or there might not be anything. Um, So what you're going to be pulling out is any color there is, but also tannin. So I like to suggest that an amber wine or an orange wine is the perfect wine to give to somebody who is a red wine drinker who says, I don't really like drinking whites you know I want something that has texture tannin some uh, backbone behind it Um, but maybe maybe it's 100 degrees outside in July and you're eating steak try it with an try an orange wine you know it might actually be perfect because it's going to give you a little something to chew on uh, with the wine (laughs) did that make sense
1: it does. It does make sense. <laughs> and and so, my, my follow up question to you guys obviously, you guys are very knowledgeable with wine and you know what you're talking about, but you're not wine makers, correct? And you're not. Well, you're, oh, sorry. You're not, I guess that was my question. The The business is a, a, you are wine distributors. So, I wanted to kind of get to what that means. If you want to talk mm-hmm. about your wine making background, I'd love to hear that too.
3: Well, yeah. I, I, we can take this in a couple different directions. I think one piece that Sean should also talk about is we're, we're distributors, yes, but um, he, he made mention that we're also importing wine. Um, so we have direct connections with uh, several people um, in Europe and we're bringing their wines in exclusively and distributing them uh, to not just Virginia and DC, but to a few other states as well, um, which has been great to be able to grow that part of the business. Sean can speak more to that. Um, but we also are working with, uh, a few other larger importers of natural wine and distributing their wines as well, so that we have a nice big book of lots of options from around the world.
1: And you're going to restaurants and to mm-hmm. resorts, yeah.
3: Bottle
1: What's shop business,
3: yeah. So essentially, uh, my day to day is going around with about six to eight wines. usually usually more like five or six lines uh, and, you know, making appointments with folks and just tasting them through our portfolio. Um, You know, every now and again, accounts will say, you know, we're looking for X, Y, Z, and I'm able to kind of build a bag specific to their needs. Sometimes people just want to be able to meet with you week to week and, and see everything in the book um, and and learn as much as they can. Um, So there really is a variety of uh, appointments that we make with, with people. Um, But yeah, anybody in, in, uh, anybody with an ABC license. So I deal with a lot of bottle shops, um, retail businesses, restaurants.
2: Yeah, and I think it's also worth mentioning that we we also have our own warehouse and do our own logistics. So our warehouse is based here in Richmond, uh, just south of Manchester. And, um, you know, that's not everyone has that. Uh, the, the, the infrastructure in Virginia and D.C., there's not um, a lot of um, comp- like third-party fulfillment um, uh, companies that exist, like you would see in New York or San Francisco, larger markets. So that was a little bit out of necessity, but I'm glad that we were able to kind of grow it a little bit every year um, and. Now we have a, a good scale where we run a couple of vehicles every week. We deliver f- four days a week. We got an awesome warehouse team head team head head, head uh, headlined by Neil, who just makes everything work. And um and and it kind of gives us a chance to put a little bit of an extra stamp on the customer service side of it. So having you know an employee of the business, a representative, every you know not just when we're selling the line... Um, but also when we're delivering the wine, um, I think it just adds like another touch point. And so, you know, a lot of people think about. Natural wine is like these crazy people. They're like really disorganized and you know, like just like the party. A bunch and, of hippies. Um, I, you know, I we also get really excited about cu- giving really good customer service. Uh, you know, giving really timely, accurate deliveries. You know, all the basic stuff that you would expect from a distributor, but we take it really seriously. Yeah. And then I think, like at the what kind of pulls everything together, like the underlying mission which is I think we kind of hit on it a little bit uh, so far is like telling the story, bringing these kind of people that come from all over the world that are behind the bottles and their associated land and kind of like this magical sort of process of like bringing that to the forefront to the wine buyer to who's drinking it in the restaurant to who's drinking it at home and you know it's not always going to like come through and it's not what everyone wants to hear or wants to find out. But I think that's really what we're trying to do is to bring these stories and people and tradition and lands to the bottles themselves. And, and, and it's just, you know, we see it as a, an honor, a privilege to be able to represent, you know, what I would call kind of our heroes that are doing, you know, backbreaking work throughout the year. And that that's really, I think what makes it fun and interesting and always kind of fresh kind of always have these new wines coming in new vintages so it's never boring there's always something there to kind of explore and be curious about
1: all right sean i'm going to put you on the spot then can you okay. tell us one of those hero stories and tell us what the wine they make and where we can find that particular wine
2: yeah absolutely um so i'll just yeah i think um, I want to talk about Ignasi. So he was. This is our um, good friend Ignasi Um He is based in Catalonia, so in the Barcelona region of Spain. Um, he's about forty-five minutes outside of Barcelona in a wine region called Penedès, which is known for Cava production, Spanish sparkling wine. And he does not make Cava, but he makes um, a wide variety of. mostly kind of these single vineyard expressions of still and sparkling wine um, on about 30 hectares, which is quite a bit of land. it's about 75 acres of land that he farms. And his family has been farming these vineyards since uh, (laughs) 1405. (laughs) Yeah. So it's (laughs) like, we're like, what did you like? Are you sure that's the correct date? Yeah, no, 1405. So, I get a text that I mean, we we talk every week, but I get a text pretty much every harvest. It's like, we just finished our 615th grape harvest. Okay, <laughs> okay. wow, well, my American brain can't comprehend that, but that's cool. Um, so Ignacy, uh, I'll just tell you a little story about Ignacy. So, he, um, he get has this amazing tradition in his family. Um, and he's the 23rd generation to grow grapes and make wine on this estate called Vini Singulares. And he like his dad, his dad kind of went, went against the farming. I mean, it wasn't really speak, you know, farming's become kind of less and less cool over the years, <laughs> maybe until the last couple of years, maybe it's like seeing a revival, but you know, it's, it's hard to make a living farming grapes and selling grapes and making wine. There's just not that much future in it in a lot of areas of the world. And so Ignacy, um, decided when he was in his 20s to not um take over the family estate and he went into another sector he started working in banking and then he tried to open like a cafe he basically like hated it and he just was like this is not what i'm supposed to be doing anyway when he was 35 in 2012 he or 2011 he um he just said like i need to this is my calling, you know, I need to go back to the land. And he didn't, he remembered kind of being around the vineyard as a kid and picking grapes and that sort of thing, but didn't really have any formal training and didn't really know exactly what he was doing. So he started with a friend uh, down the road, just kind of working in their cellar, you know, kind of taught him a little bit more in the vineyard and he just, you know, he just got going. And so he started this little company called Vini Singulares on these really old vineyards with, A ton of tradition and immediately converted it to organics and biodynamics. He and his wife had a daughter, Mar, um, right around that time as well. And um, he just launched this business, you know, more or less from scratch. He's actually renting the land, you know, it wasn't given to him. He's renting the land from another family member. And so he's just been slowly building his business over the years. And and farming these grapes, selling most of the fruit and making about, you know, making wine off of maybe a quarter or a third of the land. And uh, we, we had a chance to meet Ignacy when we did a little trade show in New York in 2016, I believe, and immediately hit it off with him. Uh, long story short, started working with him and his wines and importing those. And yeah, he, he's just like, I mean... He, all farmers, but they just, you just deal with challenges and adversity day in and day out. I mean, maybe some regions more than others, but like, for example, last year Ignasi had a hailstorm a week into his harvest where 70% of his grapes hadn't been picked yet. And it basically like demolished a massive portion of the 70% of fruit that was still remaining on the vineyards. And now he has to like recover from that, both mentally and financially, and um, and you know he just kind of keeps going, and 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 also does not compromise his values. So he's organically farming and doing these really cool practices, you know, called regenerative agriculture, which is like this whole other thing, you know, kind of in that biodynamic realm, but just like growing the soil, trying to make it better for the next generation for his daughter. And, um, and yeah, just, he's, he's just doing it day in and day out. And I think that that's very inspiring to us. He just visited the market last week. Um, So fortunately there's a a good number of places where you can find his wines in Richmond. Um, Michael, off the top of your head, where would you say?
3: Absolutely, you can find his wines in Richmond at Pizza Bones, Celadora, Second Bottle, Terrorizer, Pennies, um, all of those places I'm sure, I know I've seen them on the shelves this week, have them. what I what's also you should say is that this man makes as many as thirty, sometimes thirty five different wines each vintage, which is just, crazy. (laughs) That's a lot of wines for one man, um, with a little tiny bit of help to, uh, produce each year. And each of these wines tells such a different story. You know, he's, he's telling the story of Catalan tradition using things like chestnut wood for his barrels, um, using amphora made from clays, uh, dug from his vineyard sites. Um, the man is really, he's really, uh, I, I'll, I'll say this. I think when I first tasted Ignasi's wines, I didn't, Understand them <laughs> And I was introduced to Ignacy when he came on a trip uh, To Richmond And, and sat at Laura Lee's And we tasted through a lot of his wines And I think at that point I didn't necessarily have uh, The Understanding to um, Appreciate them um, But as I've continued to taste them And taste the breadth of his work Now I like can't get enough <laughs> um, he's, he's doing really cool things With a grape called Chorello um, doing sparkling Trellos, doing Trello and Amphra. Uh, it's very, very cool. So if, if, if Scott, if you want to taste your first, uh, Amber wine, um, look for a bottle of Vigna Singulars by Ignacy Segui.
1: What does the label look like? That's what I need to know. Mm-hmm.
3: They're all different.
2: <laughs> oh man! <laughs> I mean, yeah, again, the, the best thing to do, I mean, when, when buying wine in general, but especially for this, if you, Turn it over on the back side, there is sort of a common theme to these wines. So they all have the logo uh, of the wine and then the importer, which in this case is us. So that's another way to identify it. And it's usually like a little easier to kind of decipher what the wine is on the back, especially when you get into these, you know, French and Spanish wines that have label regulations and that sort of thing that kind of confuse, I think, the average consumer as to what they're actually
3: buying. But Scott, I would also say you don't necessarily need to know what these wines look like because we have some really, really incredible wine professionals in this town. And all you have to do is go in and say, hey, I'm looking for a bottle of Anya Singular's at any of those places I just mentioned. And they will not only be able to point you in the direction of maybe two, three or four different bottles within their own shelves, but they'll be able to tell you the story of Ignasi. We've been able to really share his passion um, with the community. Um it's it's a really it's really cool to kind of have uh, this like pen pal, but like we get to visit each other and hang out. It's like a like a sister city, if you will, <laughs> over there in Penades. Uh, the <laughs>
2: and one thing about Ignacio's wines that I think I think I I just look for, and I think is like a good mark of like this is like you're kind of getting towards the goal is when you taste these wines, and sometimes, like Michael said kind of takes a little bit of time maybe years to kind of understand or you know what we're working with here um but when the wines taste like the like year in a year out not that they taste the same but they have this stamp of a place and a person um that's like a true like there's there's this um kind of humanity and you know Earth that's coming in from the wine. And it's just, you know, again, one of these magical things that happens in a fermented grape juice beverage that I don't really understand the science behind it. But not all wines like that. And not all natural wines like that. And that is really, really cool when that happens because it's not just really enjoyable to drink and delicious and makes you feel kind of good. But it is kind of an intellectual exercise as well, and so you're being stimulated. I think on a on another level, and that is kind of that that that's I think what the goal is, and and that is not accomplished by chance. It's it's a lot of hard work. It's special vineyards that require a lot of work and a lot of time. And, you know, dedication to good winemaking practices. And so there's a lot that goes into it, but that is one thing that makes it really like, you know, awesome when that happens when the stars align. And the angels sing. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The angels start singing. So if (laughs) I wanted to, as a newbie to natural wine, if I wanted to be somewhere where perhaps Michael, you are, or Sean, you are, um, in Richmond or Virginia Beach, um, mm-hmm. what is upcoming in the next two weeks that I could have you hold my hand um, through? I don't know wine that doesn't include oranges or, <laughs> um, you, or you know, a natural red wine. You know where I'm going. Like where sure. can you give me some spaces in which yes I could be belly to belly with someone who knows a lot yes. more than I.
3: So one one thing that I'm really passionate about, you know, I spent ten years being, um, you know, the pub, pub, the face of a restaurant. You know, very much part of the public. I love being a little bit on stage. I love, I love showing off a little. If you can't tell, but just anyway, sing
1: already, I, Michael, just sing. <laughs> we, do I do
3: you want to.
0: give us a song. send me just into where I'm going.
3: I love doing weekend tastings. Um, as as you mentioned, Roby, I'm not just in Richmond. I'm I'm also in Hampton Roads, as far as uh, you know, Tinto and Chesapeake, almost at the north carolina border um we're distributing out west in charlottesville as well as in stanton um so you can find me all throughout central um in eastern virginia doing tastings um during the week on the weekends different seated events here and there um specifically in the next couple weeks uh, and again not knowing when this is going to be released but we're going on a company trip to italy <laughs> 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 we can suitcase you <laughs> if you want you can we need come to with bury me. the lead i <laughs> But yes, there's. If you follow our Instagram, um, which is at Native Selections, um, I'm. You can also follow me if you want to see what I'm doing personally um, at Mackle Smith. I'm sure those will be in uh, on the page or whatever. Um, (laughs) Show notes. Yeah, exact show notes. Yes, sir. (laughs) (laughs) But you can then see what we're doing um, all throughout town. I mean, we do stuff weekly um, in as many markets as we can. I should awesome. also mention we're in D.C. and Northern Virginia, too. We haven't shouted out Amanda Carpenter, who's our D.C. and uh, Maryland and Northern Virginia rep.
0: So you're saying there's many chances that I could pick your brain all about all things natural, organic and or biodynamic wine. Correct. Yeah. Many, many chances.
3: Once I get back from Italy, absolutely. Okay,
0: perfect. <laughs> well, you're listening to Eat It Virginia with Michael Smith, Sean Eubank, Native Selections, Roby Martin, and Scott Watts.
1: So I still haven't had orange wine, Ruby.
0: Come on over. I got some at the house. I think you'd really, really like it. Um, I This is probably something that um, everybody says, but isn't true. So, <laughs> no, seriously, I'm just gonna say it. I feel like I get less of a hangover with wine that is natural. Is it because you're drinking less of it because you don't like it as much? Uh, yeah, that's exactly what it is. How'd you guess? Um, I don't know what it is, but that's what I'm gonna say. New restaurants. Got so many new restaurants. Have you been? Wait, before we get into the new restaurants, I saw something on your Instagram that I've got to ask you about. Uh Uh-oh. It wasn't me. It was definitely you. It was your Instagram. Shall we say that you have had an oyster now? I had many
1: oysters the other night. Had a bro day with my buddy Greg Burton over at Odyssey and saw my other...
0: If anybody doesn't know who Greg Burton is, it's hardly working with Greg Burton. Used to be sports radio here in Richmond. Hopefully, he's going to come on during football season and tell us where all the tailgate food is. So, Greg, um, I'm holding you to that because you told me that when I was emceeing an event recently. So, Greg, if you're listening, that's the thing. So, so Scott, who knows yes. everyone in Richmond, went out to dinner with Greg Burton? We did,
1: and uh, yes, yeah, so we, we met we met Bo at the bar over at Odyssey and had a, such a lovely meal. As you know, that place is one of our favorites, and Bo is one of our favorite humans on the face of the earth. He said he listened to the podcast where I was talking, where you called it, where you basically said Bo Hooks got up with oysters. Mm-hmm. So Greg and I ordered some oysters, and then Bo brought out some another whole serving of oysters, which had poblano and mezcal and smoked salt. They're called peach tree oysters. And it was phenomenal. So See, good. Set them down good. so quickly.
0: He's doing a good job over there. If you haven't, um, anybody that's listening, if you haven't been to Odyssey yet, I would encourage you to swing by the bar. Bo is almost always in front of that oven. So if you'd like to get to know a local chef, that's a really good way because Bo has a skill set that I think is pretty phenomenal. He can chat and cook at the same time. And he wants to. So
1: and it was recently his birthday. So wish him a happy birthday and tell him that Roby sent you.
0: Yep. Or Scott. That, Scott.
1: Was, our, Scott. that was my best bite of the week for sure. What was yours?
0: That was your best bite of the week?
1: Why do you sound surprised?
0: I don't. <laughs> I don't. I think that. I mean, it's a good best bite to have. I mean, my- so, was, so were the scallops and the shrimp. That everything at Odyssey is pretty tasty. So I have become a regular at Stanley's. Is that right? Yeah, it's been a little bad. We've been like three times in the last two weeks. Uh, When you walk in,
1: does everybody say "Hey,
0: Roby"? No, but they probably could um, because we. Ryan really likes the Philly cheesesteak, so. I'm not letting him have them at Stanley's because I'm afraid we never ever... We're trying everything else on the menu but that. But recently, we did their like steak fries, which are not like the thick potatoes. They're actually fries with cheesesteak on top of them. Holy God. Oh, it's... I I am going to be as wide as I am tall. I'm so glad we don't live in that neighborhood because I don't think that we... I don't I think that's the only place we go. And last night, Scott, I had some of the worst French fries of my life. Mm. And I swear I've never met a French fry I don't like. So it just gives me more respect for places that actually take time to do something with their potatoes as opposed to use them as an afterthought. So Stanley's steak fries also had this melon salad that they sent us melon and cucumber and Greek yogurt. It was it was just random. Very, very good. For what it's worth, they are doing pasta specials now over at Stanley's. Like, I think it just, like, started this past week. And, yeah, I'm just here to say I I think that's going to be a righteous situation.
1: What's the vibe like at Stanley's? I have not yet been.
0: Um... It's like your mom's kitchen meets chic. <laughs> okay.
1: Like that's what it is. Hey, Barbara Wise's kitchen is pretty damn chic. You better watch yeah. what you say. The,
0: I mean, it's like they they know what they're doing in the kitchen, but also they're hips. <laughs> so that's kind of cool.
1: It's a dangerous combination.
0: It's a good thing. It's a good thing.
1: Some of the new restaurants in town that have recently opened or are about to open could be future Best Bites Locations. Why don't you run down the list of some of the new places we're excited about?
0: So we've got out of the Donny Glass, um, Eli Grisette Harden Camp, Jardin Camp. We've got
1: Boku. And this is what you were teasing last podcast. You said, I, you said I, I have an idea about something that's coming to town. I'm going to bring some news, but I can't give you the full story. So what's the
0: full story? The full story is they're going in the old cap- commercial tap house. Um doing a little renovation, they're gonna use the top of it for like a commissary kitchen slash bakery to provide the baking goods for jardin and maybe even grisette and then they're gonna make this in like a oyster bar actually, let's just call it a raw bar let's call it a bar with oysters, but okay. apparently there's gonna be other food, and as you know, there are a few other raw bars that are getting ready to show up in Richmond, I think Log Oven has a concept that's getting ready to happen in Scott's edition though that's pretty hush hush and there was just recently an oyster bar that opened in Petersburg by the guy who owns Bow Nuts Oh is, yeah, like, it's the um donut hybrid. So that's uh, that's a lot of raw bars near us which I'm really 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 excited about because we're like an hour and 30 minutes or 40 minutes from the bay. So
1: You it, mentioned that you had, you wrote about Donnie uh Donnie's new business in style. Obviously you write restaurant reviews and restaurant news for Style Weekly. Is there any other articles you've written recently that you want to dive into a little bit?
0: Um, Not anything crazy. We did write about the opening of Boku and I learned a lot from Donnie. He actually, he, he, um, we chatted while he was in France. Again. Pretty cool. Um, He travels to get ideas for his restaurants here, which, you know, most people, a a restaurant that's open here is just an idea that they saw somewhere that they thought would really be great in this spot, right? Like nothing is incredibly someone's. So yeah, no, I mean, that's really the, the newest article I've written um, a couple of their restaurant news things, but like not anything major. But if you are interested in re- listening in not listening to my talk and reading things in black and white, I think I'm going to be in style a little bit more Um, as the weeks go on. I'm um, going to have an article coming out over in the Virginia pilot about in Virginia Beach about a restaurant up there called Duck Dive, as in, like, D-U-C-K. You said as in D-U-C-K? Yeah, no, D-U-C-K, Duck Dive. What else would it be? Nobody thought that I said any bad words. We have Gramophone that is opening over there, Forest Hill area, I believe. Um, New wine bar by Arthur Grant and Friends, so that ought to be cool. You've got... What else is coming in? Neighbor won the big mayonnaise competition. So if you're watching for the Golden Tomato, the new restaurant in Northside, Neighbor um, won. Trying to think of... Oh, Spreza is moving. I think it's going to be a good thing. They'll stop being in that super huge space. They'll move yeah. into smaller. What When you think of that space, Scott, this has been yes. going around the Facebook and, and Instagram airwaves. When you think of the space they're going in, what do you call it? Bogards. It's Bogards to you? It's the old Bogards?
1: Yes, the Bogards back room. I saw many a good show back there.
0: So it's Bogards for me, too. So I feel like it shows your age when you are uh, discussing the old spots, when it's six iterations of spots ago that that is the one you bring up. When there's a
1: place like that, of course, we wish Angela best of luck with Spreza in this new location. Absolutely. Uh, when there's a place like that, that has um, a history of restaurants that might've been successful, but maybe not have lasted a long time, or maybe haven't been successful and shut down very quickly. As a, as someone who's like invested in this industry, what does that tell you? The red flag is going up when, when a restaurant moves into a space that has been multiple restaurants. I mean, granted Bogart was 20 years ago. So, I mean, that's a long time. <laughs> that's a long time ago. But is there something more to it than that?
0: Well, I think, I mean, uh, let's use, we just recently talked about Donnie just like five seconds ago. And let's use Baja Bean as an example. I think they're doing amazing things in that vomit filled space at one point, right? Like, I think Jardin looks amazing there. I think they're really filling that space with some real warmth.
1: But Baja Bean was there for 20 years.
0: Sure, sure. But I mean, you could, by and large, say it was an old restaurant space. You're talking about spaces that weren't successful and now are bringing other spots. I'm just talking about
1: spaces that have been multiple concepts in like, say this, let's say from 2000 to present, which is roughly when Bogarts was there. Right? There have been something before Bogarts in 2000. Let's we'll just say 2000 and make it make it even.
0: Oh, I think that it is the restaurants, not the spot. Okay. I'm trying to think of another spot that has changed hands a bunch of
1: times. One of the ones I was thinking of is um, Maine and Robinson, where Espy's Main Street Love Shack is now. I mean, that's been four or five different concepts in 20
0: years, right? So the one that resonates for me the most is Starlight, right?
1: Right. Before that, it was Sobel's. Sobel's. And Mm -hmm. then it was
0: like the Devil's something at one point. Something weird. Yep. And then Brunch. I don't think brunch would have closed had the pandemic not
1: occurred. Sure. That's a big wild card there, of course. Mm -hmm. Listeners, if you have a place out there that has a deep history.
0: Long, deep history. With some
1: of your favorite restaurants all coming out of one space, let us know about it. Because I'm sure we've forgotten one or two or 20. This episode of Eat It, (laughs) Virginia. Eat It, Virginia? (laughs) Really? This episode of Eat It for... (laughs) No! Oh, God, no.